I'm Harry. I'm Nash. And this week, we're going all the way from the 11th to the 17th of June. And if you haven't done it yet, make sure to check out our Twitter at Harry underscore and underscore Nash or also at Before You Were Born Podcast. So it's pretty easy to remember. It's One got in the same. A lot of stuff on it. Good stuff. No, but no more than 140 characters. It's hard to condense so much goodness into such a small amount. I think it's 240 now or 280. Is it? Yeah, I think they doubled the well, Twitter account. You can tell who runs the Twitter account. Yeah, it's definitely Nash. <laughs> now, this week, Nash, I'm actually going to start off on the 16th of June, uh, near the end of the week in 1884, because this is the day that America sees its first roller coaster. What? What? Sorry, what? Roller coaster? Yeah. You mean, is this like an analogy or some sort of metaphor? Like, it was a political roller coaster. Nobody understood what was happening. Or is this a literal roller no, coaster? No, a literal roller coaster. And why <laughs> I say that it was America's first okay. is because I think this gave rise to what we know as theme parks, which have revolutionized the world. Right? Debatable, but okay. All right. I think they have. Definitely enjoyment perspective. Again, this is one of those things that separates me from most people. Don't like the beach, don't like dogs, don't like music festivals, never been to a theme park. Probably never been hate to it. a theme Wow, okay. We're well, about to get learned, my friend. <laughs> about to get learned. What are you speaking about this week in history? Well, this week I'm getting excited by not by roller coasters or by regular fun stuff. I get excited <laughs> by deceit and lies and turmoil because, oh baby, oh baby, the mother of all conspiracies and scandals. It kicks off on June 17th, 1972. What what scandal is it? You'll find out. I hate when you do this. All right, but after this, roller coasters. So, Nash, when we think of modern-day theme parks, what ride for you comes to mind? Um, pick one. The Anyone. ride home. Oh, thank goodness. My no, feet are killing me. My back is sore. I've been walking the all theme day. Park. It's so hot. Well, is it te- it's technically in the, it's in the car park? No, in the actual theme park, within oh. the fencing of the theme park, you bloody party pooper. Um, oh, no, any, man. pick any. Is it is it Shrek? Is it is it Scoop? What, what Shrek 4D? No, not Shrek 4D. Uh, now, I like the one that spins you round and round and round until you feel like you're getting some severe heart palpitations. You're like, oh, is this how it ends? Uh, I think, is this how it ends? I think that's just you on a Saturday night. But um, what I was thinking of is none other than the roller coaster. Uh-huh. I think the roller coaster it's synonymous. With theme parks. When you think of theme yeah. park, you think of roller coaster. Sure. The main attraction. Yeah. But what is a roller coaster? How did it come to be? Who um, made it? My guess is that it's a mystery, very similar to the origins of the pyramids. Maybe some ancient civilization took a, a, a psychedelic drug, which opened up their third eye, allowed them to envisage this great machine, or maybe it was gifted to us by an alien race. We'll never know the answer. Well, you're wrong on all counts. We do know the answer. No. and uh, <laughs> Unless, we, of course, we do know the answer. <laughs> we do know the answer. And we want to speak today about the first ever American roller coaster. And it's uh. important that it's American because people see this as the first ever roller coaster. Now, Well, the first modern roller coaster, right? Modern roller coaster. Okay. There I mean, have been variations. Sure there's been people been chucked in carts and rolled down hills. And <laughs> We're going to get there. They're going to have money there. charged to do so, but I guess it's not the same Potentially in Russia, thing. but yes. So theme parks that house roller coasters generally they've been around for many centuries since the 16th century where they had theme parks with live music games rides and other exciting activities like i don't know beheading lynching whack the peasant (laughs) whack the peasant see how fast (laughs) the peasant can run around as you shoot arrows at them really fun things for the family so we can trace the origins of i guess festivals or for lack of a better word theme parks 
to these kinds of fairs that went on in the yeah. 16th century. Of course, you're not actually seeing real roller coasters back then. No, you're not, because okay. the first roller coaster only rears it he- its head in about 1880, ah, right around okay. that time. But these are the old theme parks. Now, we're fast-forwarding about 200 or so years. Many peasants have died by this point. Many, and we're going to think about the first ever American roller coaster. But before we can even do that, we have to go back again in the past to the inspiration for the roller coaster. Because how do you think of something that goes up and down and sideways and everywhere? How do you? I don't know. You lived to Willy Wonka in his glass elevator, I think. That's that's kind of Yeah, his, I guess it was, like a, it was like a roller coaster. Yeah. I mean, He was definitely more. on acid. Yeah, he was weird. Now, the first roller coasters, they were really no more than a long slide. And they were found initially in the Russian mountains. So you essentially had a cart. It went down. You paid a bit of money. That's it. It's like a slide that you would find in any park, except super long and goes relatively fast. Okay. So, but you pay money to go down it. Yeah. I mean, you can't go down for free. Ah, this is before socialism. Okay. Yeah, exactly. So you pay a bit of money, you go down. So the first roller coaster that we see is actually in France, and it's not quite a roller coaster. Mm. Is it more? It's similar to the Russian idea of going down fast but moving a bit more. So I think it's like in an angle. It's like a kind of like a circular shape. Um, okay. And it's called the Promenades Arian, and it was opened on the eighth of July, eighteen seventeen, and it was this design that actually became known as the Switchback Railway. Okay. So this type of railway, not a roller coaster, okay. it's a railway, they use gravity as a means of getting passengers down a slope and up again and then completing the return journey. Uh, so it's essentially okay. like a, a nice little parabola. You go down, you go up, <laughs> you do parabola. another maths equation, you go down, you go up again. Okay, All And right. this was the inspiration of the roller coaster because it wasn't just going down a hill, now you also get to go up. Back up again. Yeah, which well, is very exciting. The, okay, you're not going back up the same hill. You're, going, you're using that gathered momentum to go up. You know, I guess technically a different... Yeah, I guess you kind of go down and up and then smaller up and downs, okay. up and downs. So like a someone, some bright spark has seen how the Russians have done it. They've seen how the French have done it. And then they've thought, hmm, what if that second hill just kept on going and going and up and down and up and down and up and Made down? Made it a bit more exciting. And then connected back to its backside. Back to its backside is what they would like to do. And this is where we meet a man called Lamarcus Thompson, also known as the father of the American roller coaster and also the father of the Gravity Ride. And also the father of James Thompson, his son. Is that the name of his son? I thought I just, it was Frederick Porticini. I just made that up. We both made that up, so that's fine. So on our date in history, the 16th of June, 1884. This is the day that the first roller coaster in America opens at Coney Island in Brooklyn, New York. And it essentially is a switchback railway, so it uses gravity, go back and forth, costs a nickel to ride, and went about six miles an hour, which is about nine and a half kilometers. Wow, that is... Like a blistering speed, like a white knuckle, eyes popping out your head, whiplash speed for people of that time. It would have been, actually. I know you're sort of joking, but... No, no, I'm I'm also being serious. In all seriousness, it would have been really fast, fast, especially given cars were probably going like five kilometers an hour. I'm not sure you had too many cars around then either. In 1884? No. You would have had, I don't know. At least not good cars. No. (laughs) Probably one Flintstone style. I'd say. Horses. Yeah. So this begins really the journey of the modern day roller coaster. You have this essential switchback railway in Coney Island. But I think it's very important. And it's very important because it gives rise to what would then be the modernization of theme parks through where it was situated. Because of Coney Island? Yeah, because it opened on Coney Island. Now, everyone knows Coney Island. Nope. 
You don't know Coney Island? It's very famous for being a hub of theme parks. Okay. How do you not know this place? No, I know this place, but I'm just feigning ignorance for the audience's sake. You're a pain. (laughs) Uh, So I guess the question is, what did a roller coaster have to do with the history of Coney Island and why is Coney Island even famous? Well, yeah, what is Coney Island really? I mean, sure, I have a basic understanding. It's a place where people go to spend their excess cash and maybe eat some popcorn and throw up after going on a few rides. But maybe the history is a little bit more... Um, it's a bit more deep than it, that. Maybe the history is deeper than that, yeah. Yeah, so it was actually discovered in 1609 by Henry Hudson. Um, and it's in the it was state discovered? Of, yeah, it was discovered. It was an island off the coast. It's actually in the most south part of Brooklyn. So... They hadn't found it, and then they kept on walking down, and then they found it. In 1609? In 1609. Oh, um, but it okay. wasn't until 1829 that it became a holiday destination. Right. So when you say they discovered it, I'm just expecting some guy walking along. What the hell is that? Hang on. Is that? Oh, my goodness. It's Coney Island. How we missed this? Yeah, so that's not how it happened at all. It was actually a resort and a holiday destination for quite a while before it became known as one of the theme park founders of the world. Now, I just want to clarify and say that Coney Island was not the home of the first ever theme park. That was actually in Chicago in 1893, where the Ferris wheel was actually born. That's separate. That's the first ever theme park in America. Okay. So you don't think of Chicago as theme park capital of the world. Now, no. Nowadays, you probably think of I think Disney of it, World or Universal Studios. Yeah. But I think, historically, oh, okay. before the 70s, before the 50s, when 1955, when Disneyland was even opened, yeah. the capital of theme parks was Coney Island. It was Coney Island. It was Coney Island. Okay. And Chicago was left in the dust. Cool, they made the Ferris wheel. <laughs> That's nice in 1893. But yeah. Coney Island... We know Coney Island because it is an interesting place. Why is it so interesting? I don't understand people's fascination with just like you know, fun. Wouldn't you rather be working? <laughs> uh, you would, wouldn't you? So now this theme park <laughs> wasn't even built yet. But so Coney Island was a holiday destination. It had a racetrack. It had restaurants, theaters. It was a fun place to be. Yeah. It was becoming quite popular. And then they opened the roller coaster in 1884. There was no theme parks there, but now we have a roller coaster. The first of its age in America. And this was a big attraction, getting people flooding in. And people started to think, hey, maybe we can make more of this. Maybe we can make this bigger. Maybe we can make it better. Maybe we can make some more money. We can indeed. Mm. So in 1894, the first theme park was opened on Coney Island. And within the next 10 years, another two sprung open. So Coney Island became what was the hub of American amusement parks. It had three theme parks and one of the very few roller coasters in the world <laughs> in this lovely little patch of southern Brooklyn bliss. Yeah, right. And you just go out there with your gal. Do you want to go with me? So like, yeah, I'll go with you. Okay, Barbie, let's <laughs> and go. Off they go. Yeah. So they could have gone to Dreamland, Luna Park, which we know is still alive and well today. Wait, uh, so that, sorry, of all the theme parks in Australia just ripped off their names from Coney Island. So essentially yeah. what, what's happened? Well, it's a mimic. There is a Coney Island section in Luna Park, which mimicked what oh. was Coney Island back in the day. Oh. And the okay. Steeplechase as well, which was okay. the third theme park. You've yeah. got a roller coaster, three theme parks, But there's more to Coney Island's historic place in amusement park history. Can I tell you? I'm going to tell you. I'm so excited about this one. Go ahead. I'm going to tell you. Please. Supposedly, it was the home of the first ever 
hot dog. Wow. So supposedly, 1867, Charles Feltman, he created the hot dog, putting a sausage in a bun. Wow, amazing. In Coney Island. I have to wonder whether or not this gentleman, Charles, had the foresight to include every mishmash piece of the animal that nobody would want to eat <laughs> and also some cardboard and some homogenizing agents and some thickening starch MSG, into of his course. Uh, hot dog or not or whether it's actually like an old a good old-fashioned old-timey hot dog where it's actually like you know that no, was probably a sausage it was probably filth probably it was probably filth. pigeon mm. but i wonder if it cost like nine dollars as well <laughs> <laughs> yeah it probably would have cost you less than a nickel which is like five cents that's extortion Actually, that's highway it, robbery I think it was a nickel um, so not only that it was also the home to Nathan's famous hot dog stand which has an eating contest where in 2006 so Takoyu Kobayashi oh yes you know him yes of he, course you know the food guy <laughs> what are you trying to say oh, he, um, <laughs> Kobayashi if you haven't seen him he is a monster like I'm sure he like, what's demolished any and every world record 53.75 hot dogs in 12 minutes in 2006 in Coney Island. There's a tremendous video of him racing a bear, eating a... They've each served a plate of hot dogs. Wow. And he's he racing win? a bear. Oh, I came very close. That's it was very a, it impressive. Was, he put up a good fight for uh, for humanity. Yeah, <laughs> good job. So, yeah. I mean, Coney Island is also famous for their hot dogs. But by the early 1920s, Coney Island and its roller coasters... They were booming. It was very exciting. There oh, were millions 20s. of people. Yeah. Yeah. This is, of course, before the Depression. So yeah. the, the Great Depression hits in 1933, uh, 1929 through 33, and then World War II, and no one had time for fun. You would have loved this era. It was work, no play, war. <laughs> Nash is living the dream. No money to spend on fun things like Coney Island. If you read testimonies of Londoners during the Blitz... After the fact, after they struggled, after they survived through that hellfire, they'll look back and they'll say that was the most meaningful and... You're so full of it. No, it's serious. No one's, no one's uh, going to be keen on living through That is literally true. That's like it was the most meaningful and purposeful moments of their lives. They don't long for the turmoil, but they long for the purpose. I prefer community. fun. I prefer fun and hot dog eating contests. But <laughs> essentially what happened after World War II, we see the opening in 1955 of Disneyland, then Disney World, Universal Studios. By 1960s, these big parks were essentially forcing Coney Island to shut down. And now all that's really left of Coney Island was their famous wooden roller coaster uh, called the Cyclone, which was made in 1927. But really... There isn't much left of Coney Island. It is not the heroic theme park that it used to be. It is but a relic of fun times gone past. So it's a sad end to the story, but I thought to end up this segment with a bit more fun because roller coasters are super duper fun. Let's do some fun hard facts about roller coasters. Uh, Okay. So firstly, (laughs) do you know the fastest roller coaster in the the world? Uh, The... That's right, the Abu Dhabi Formula One theme park roller coaster called the Formula Rossa, which goes 150 miles an hour, which is about 200 k's. Wow, that's, that's really fast. That's really fast. Why compared didn't, to why didn't you go that fast? I, I think the original roller coaster was much better. Another fun fact hmm. someone once spent 112 consecutive days on the Big One roller coaster in Blackpool. This guy called Richard Rodriguez, which is the record Why? for the longest time spent on a roller coaster. Why? 
So I don't know why. Oh I my mean, goodness! It's just a bit arbitrary. The whole thing. If, I mean, <laughs> I'm sorry, like, but like that's like that is the most ridiculous record ever. Yeah, I can imagine this guy. He sounds like someone who got stuck on the roller coaster, and he's like, "Well, I've made it this far." <laughs> yeah. It's like you know those see those those crisis things where. Uh, Teenagers stuck on roller coaster. Like the police crews are here on their way. By the time you cross over the thirty-four hour threshold, you're beyond ninety percent of the population. Just anyway, so, so like, well, bored. I'm halfway on my way there. I might just stick. Or on maybe here. he rode it every single day for 112 days. That probably makes more sense. But even then, after day three, you're getting pretty bored. Maybe it's time. Like maybe it's the cumulative time on the roller coaster. Yeah, I, can't, look, how I, th- I think it must be he wrote it every day, consecutive days. I can understand how That's some of the food that you eat is going to be expelled if you're on a roller coaster all the time. I get mm. it. He not, probably wasn't eating chili dogs it. for a while. I'll tell yeah. you that much. Oh, yeah. So it's a bit of a sad way to finish, but the first roller coaster is long gone. Lamarcus is too, the founder mm. of the roller coaster. Mm. But Coney Island lives on with the Cyclone Roller Coaster, the wooden roller coaster. Yeah. And we can see roller coasters all over the world stemming, I would say, from this point in history. June 16th, 1884, the first ever American roller coaster. Huge. Well, from one legacy onto another. Only this one, not quite so fun. Well, I'm not a crook. I've earned everything I've got. Okay, here's a fun hypothetical for you. Let's say you and I get involved in a scandal. I mean, it, it can be. <laughs> yeah. Wow, this is a fun hypothetical. Yeah, I know you'd like this. Um, mm-hmm. So it, it can be any kind of scandal. Say, for example, people discover that we're just making up things each week and hoping that our listeners don't Google the answers for themselves. Wait, we're not. I mean, like, well, okay. I mean, all right, well, all right. we're, not, we're, no, we're not. We're not doing that. Uh, no, of course not. I mean, the scandal. It doesn't really matter. But you and me, we're in hot water, and the question is, what name would the media give our scandal? A hundred percent would be ResearchGate. <laughs> or, or like or Blundergate like, or, or Wikigate or something. Yeah. <laughs> or like fake gate. Fake gate. So they wouldn't even call that. They'd just call loosely hanging door with hinges, not even a real gate. Yeah. Well, I mean, gate. That's the point. It doesn't matter if you conspired with the devil and Donald Trump to cancel Christmas. I don't care. If you don't have gate at the end <laughs> of your name, it's not a scandal. It's okay? not. It's really not. It's really not. Now, there have been a ton of gate scandals in recent memory. Gamergate. Bendgate. Nipplegate. Um, <laughs> we all remember that one. Um, I, uh, re- refresh me. Okay, so. Is that Janet Jackson? Yes. Oh, wow. Yeah, they called so, it Nipplegate? Yes. Wow. They also had Colgate. People pretty. <laughs> the, ba- yeah, the, the plaque and bacteria are still reeling over that one. The yeah, Colgate. They're upset. Oh, that's, that's really funny. <laughs> <laughs> and a personal tragedy of mine. Gategate, when I was locked out of my house <laughs> twice. Surely you did not call it. You didn't like, you saw the situation, you're like, you know what I'm going to call this? I'm going to call it Gategate. As I, was hoisting my, as I was hoisting my roommate over the fence, <laughs> I was coining the phrase, this is Gategate. Anyway. Yeah, well, I'm sure a lot of people on the street really cared about that. <laughs> uh, anyway, the question is now, where does this suffix come from? It didn't just appear out of nowhere. And this brings us to our date in history. June 17, 1972. Five men are arrested for breaking into the Democratic National Committee offices at the Watergate Hotel in Washington, D.C. Now, I've actually seen a couple of movies about Watergate. I've seen um, Frost Nixon. Yes. I've seen um, All the all the President's Men yes. as well. Great yeah. film. Yeah. I feel like I know a decent amount about this topic, but I feel like you're going to surprise me. Uh, maybe I will. Maybe I won't. Well, if you don't know anything... Watergate is the name given to the scandal that would eventually bring down Richard Nixon. Well, I don't think... He wasn't a tyrant. 
I mean, oh uh, well, okay, so he did spy on like, his own people, but oh, <laughs> uh, well, yeah, but they were his enemy, so it was fair enough. Oh, right? I mean, yeah, I mean, that's fine then. Yeah. It's the same way. I was speaking with one of my mates the other day, and we were having yeah. a conversation, and that conversation then came up on on Facebook, suggesting something that we go do, yeah. like an event. And I was like, I think it's okay because it's beneficial. So, like, same way oh, spying's you- okay if it's beneficial for you. So you can uh, break the law if it's beneficial. <laughs> Is that what we're preaching here? Because that's what it made you. That's what you made it sound like. Is that what you're preaching for our dear listeners? This children, all right. Nash. Okay, all right. Think of the goddamn Before children. Before we get to whether or not Nixon was a crook, and he certainly was a crook. Wait, what did he say though? You'll have to listen to an old episode of me doing it. Can I just say, I knew this is why you picked this topic. Because no, you just want to speak like Nixon. No. Anyway, all I do want is a bit of context. Okay. okay. Tell so, me. So, we know in the late 1960s, America is in the throes of a cultural revolution. I mean, in one decade, you have the moon landing, the summer of love, the civil rights movement, sexual liberation movement. There's a ton of progressive progress, right, going on. Now, by the early 1970s, things aren't quite as peachy as they could have been. Um, the American dream, as it were, is starting to sour for some. Yeah, not ideal. And we know how that one worked out, don't we? Uh, not very well. No. There was high inflation, and there was the ever-present threat of communism. Oh, classic. That needed to be destroyed. Now, Tell me about those Rosenbergs, am I right? Disgusting. The Rosenbergs. Ethel Rosenberg killed as a communist? Oh, yeah, the Rosenbergs. Yeah. They were not having a good time with that no. communism, well, were they? Well, they're dead, so not a good time so, at all. <laughs> well, like Nixon, he came to power in... 68. And to his credit, he was doing what seemed like a pretty good job. You know, he created the EPA, the Environmental Protection Agency. That's good. He also aided in easing tensions between China and the Soviet Union. Also and good. he was making good on a plan to withdraw from Vietnam. Now, in fairness, on that last one, um, withdrawing from Vietnam was an election promise that he delivered two years late on. And he also kind of conspired with the Vietnamese military leaders to extend the war through 68 so that he'd have something to be elected on in the first place. Jeez. So not so good. That's a little bit dodgy. Yeah. So Nixon had a ton of secrets, right? And scandals in his administrations. Now, one of the things about secrets, as we discovered last week with the Perfumo case, secrets had this nasty habit of coming out, mm. you know, especially if they are in the national interest. A hundred percent. Now, one of the biggest leaks during Nixon's administration was the Pentagon Papers in 1971. Now, there was this guy, essentially, who worked at the Pentagon, Daniel Ellsberg. He came across a bunch of papers that spelled out all these U.S. military secrets that was going on during the Vietnam War. Now, things like the fact that the administrations from Truman through to Johnson had been intentionally expanding the war effort in ways that weren't you know, necessarily legal, you know, mm. like bombing Laos and Cambodia without Congress knowing about it. And, you know, the fact that the Kennedy administration had actively helped to overthrow and assassinate the South Vietnamese president. Yeah, which is not ideal from a government that's meant to be no. a little bit more transparent. Well, governments. governments. Governments, yeah, it's true, more than one. So by 71, Ellsberg, he sees Vietnam as being totally unwinnable. So he thinks that the public should know the truth. And he gives a copy of these papers to the New York Times. Mm. And they publish those bad boys. Yeah. And as you may have guessed, Nixon, not about very happy about uh, He wasn't it. happy. There it is. Uh, no. um, he was pissed about that, and he tries to stop the New York Times from publishing it. And the matter goes to the Supreme Court, New York Times versus the USA. Supreme Court rules 6-3 to three in favour of the New York Times. Huge win for freedom of press. Massive. But massive public failure for Nixon. Yeah, not ideal, and especially he probably would have had an election coming up relatively soon. Yes, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely, we'll get to that. Now, he is somewhat very understandably paranoid about the leak. The administration 
it forms a group. So they don't know who the leak is at this point. Well, it's just the point that he was it was even possible to have had a leak. Right. So know? he's he's now worried that other things that he has done that are a bit dodgy might be found out. Yeah. Through other leaks and people having good conscience and whatnot. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's there is an argument. There's a legitimate argument to have for a government to keep secrets. You know, mm. you don't want your nation state secrets being known by a rival nation, right? Otherwise, yeah. you can't do secret stuff and keep your nation safe. But by that same token, if it's some unethical stuff that is quite clearly illegal, then you know it's a bit of a grey area. Anyway, he thinks leaks are bad. He has a flat-out policy. No more leaks. Yeah, that's no fair. Leaks. He's going to get a plumber, fix it all up. Very good, actually. So he establishes this group called the Plumbers to stop the leaks. There you go. I could be a president. I reckon I'm that You're good. You're very presidential. And I'm super modest. Hugely. Hugely <laughs> modest. I can't I can't begin to describe how modest you are. Oh, stop. You're too much. much. I know you're right, so though. Nixon's advisor, John Ehrlichman, he assembled a former CIA agent, E. Howard Hunt, and a former FBI agent, G. Gordon Liddy, to lead this plumbing effort, right, right. to shut down the leaks. Did they get overalls or...? And they had great big wrenches. Oh, uh, okay. You know? Yeah, nice. Those guys, I just great want to make wrenches. sure that if they're going to be plumbers, they at least do it. They're going to look the part. Yeah, stereotypes yeah. is what we live and breathe on. Well, that's how I like to live my life. That's not true. Uh, <laughs> okay, so what happens with these plumbers? So anyone on Nixon's enemies list, they soon found themselves under the scrutiny of the plumbers. You know, politicians, cultural leaders, celebrities, basically anyone who looks like they might cause a threat. And it wasn't just surveillance. Many were harassed with legal action and tax audits as well. Right Now, Nixon, he was so paranoid that he eventually decides to have every conversation within the White House... He decides to have it secretly recorded. Well, that's not good. Yeah, now remember that because it's going to be important later. Oh, you reckon? Yeah. I already know this story, so I can can agree. Yeah. Well, so this is all happening on the latter half of 1971 and the early portions of 72. And this is in the second half of his first term in office. And there's, as you said, an election on the way. There is. And he is absolutely determined to win. He is going to win no matter what. He already lost to JFK back in the 60s, and he only just kind of just won in 68. So this mentality, it gave birth to a group aptly named Creep, uh, the Committee wow. to Re-elect the President. It's actually called the CRP, but, you know, if you look at the it's creep. re-elect, yeah. it's Creep. You've got to work on your, like, see you in the NT. <laughs> like, that campaign, not appropriate. See you in the NT. Hey, I didn't make that up. <laughs> that, that was really funny. That was no- <laughs> Northern Territory, thank you very much. Um, anyway, so... There was some really shady stuff. In Creep. Wow, what a surprise. Yeah, I know, living up to its name. And essentially, they had a slush fund of money just to spend on bugging and spying on the Democrats. And this leads us to our date in history, June 17, 1972. Right. But there's a lot more to this story. Yeah, oh, we're only about halfway. Yeah, I we're know. We're about halfway. So on June 17, 1972, just after midnight, uh, at the Watergate complex, right, this is where the security guard, Frank Wills, he notices something strange. Mm, he, notices, miss. he notices that uh, some of the doors around the Watergate complex have got little bits of tape on the door handles as to keep them open so they, they can't close. You know, like you, know, like you open... Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. So he removes a bit of tape. Oh, that's weird. Goes around his business. Comes back, tapes back there again. So that alerts him to there being somebody something's, in the something's building. up, yeah. He calls the cops. They rock up. And they arrest five men who have been creeping around. These five men, they're identified as 
Virgilio Gonzalez, Bernard Barker, James McCord, Eugene Martinez, and Frank Sturgis. Now, these guys, they haven't just got like balaclavas and gloves on. They have money, sequential bills. They've got 40 rolls of unexposed film, tear gas guns, listening devices, and a police radio scanner. They came prepared. They came prepared. If they had the scanner, how could they not hear the police were approaching? Like, get out Ah, of that point. That's really funny, actually. So the police unit that actually arrested them didn't look like police. Essentially, if, if you go on YouTube, you can find this great little video of the guys who arrested these five dudes. And they were essentially like hippie police. They didn't look like police. So when they rocked up... The five guys, if they saw them at all, they had no chance of identifying them as being police. Yeah, they were yeah. just the guys who arrested them were like, they look like bums, for lack of a better word. Yeah. <laughs> and then these bums arrest them. So That's pretty funny. They weren't uniformed officers. Yeah, well, I guess that helps. Yeah. So these guys, five guys, five burglars, they get arrested. And this is no small thing, right? Burglary into the Watergate Hotel where the Democrats have their offices. Right? Okay, well, that's a big deal. That's I think a huge that's something deal. that wasn't mentioned before. The fact that the Democrats have their offices there, that's yeah. huge. So obviously, these five spies are work- they're, they're part of creep or plumbers or they're just dodgy. Yeah, exactly. Now, this catches the attention of two reporters from the Washington Post Carl Bernstein and Bob Woodward. I now, thought it was Dustin Hoffman. It is Dustin Hoffman, my mistake. Right. Because he's in the movie, so... (laughs) I couldn't tell you which one Dustin Hoffman plays. No idea. So these two guys from the Washington Post, they investigate, and they eventually recognize that some of these guys that committed the burglary, they aren't just your regular old robbers. Aren't they like ex-CIA or something... Exactly. Some of these guys are employed by the White House. Some of these guys are from the CIA. They publish their findings, Woodward and Bernstein, in a series of articles from June 20th. Now, crucially, they establish a connection from the burglars to Hunt, the guy, one of the original plumbers, right? Yeah. The the ex-CIA guy, Hunt. And they are able to establish this from an anonymous source known as Deep Throat. Deep Throat. Now, he's great in the film. He's, uh, he's a scary guy, but he's like, he's all you ever want in, a, in an informant. He's seedy, he stands in dark places, and, yeah. uh, and gives you cryptic messages yeah. that only you can decode. Follow the money. Yeah, that's exactly what he said. Follow the money. Yeah, that's, that's really what it comes down to. Because on June 23, Nixon instructs his chief of staff, Bob Holderman, to get the CIA to obstruct the FBI's investigation into the finances of the burglars. Right, okay. Because he knows it will link back to the plumbers and ultimately to Nixon himself. Yeah, not ideal if you're president of the United States. But by September 1972, the plumbers, Hunt and Liddy, along with the burglars, they're indicted by a grand jury. Right, not good for the case of Nixon. Not great. Now, despite the craziness, despite the little hiccup at Watergate, Nixon's plan to get re-elected, it works. He won in a massive landslide. Which he is super surprising. killed. Yeah, I don't understand how that happened, but obviously Watergate got downplayed. Dude, he absolutely destroyed the Democratic nominee. The kind of help he had all those um, <laughs> spy devices making sure he knew their policies. Well, look, he really, really wanted to win. Yeah. And also the Democratic nominee was a dud, let's be honest. Yeah. Was not, <laughs> do you know his name? I don't know his name. No, no one knows his name. No, knows I know his Nixon. Name. Yeah. Now, even though he wins, the cat is out of the bag. Along with the grand jury, where the burglars have now pled guilty, the Senate begins to investigate in mid-1973. Now, during the Senate hearings, which are led by a guy called Sam Irving, one of Nixon's top aides, John Dean, he exposes that he knew about the cover-up. 
Yeah, so he gets re-elected, but essentially the re-election is the start of a downhill spiral that's already begun yeah. in 1972. Yeah. Now, uh, it's important to maybe note here as well, Watergate isn't so much about the break-in. It's about the cover-up mm. and whether or not Nixon used his presidential privilege to obstruct justice. Yeah. Which he totally did. Uh, he totally look, did. he never admitted it. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, but he... Yeah. He didn't admit He's it. a classic Rosie Ruiz, you know, cheater in the, in the Boston Marathon. <laughs> yeah, I didn't do it. Never. Uh, now, people saw me do it, but I, I didn't really do it. I didn't really do it. Well, people heard me do it, and yes, yeah. which we're about to find out. Because to add insult to injury, on July 16, 1973, Alexander Butterfield, a guy who worked in the uh, White House under the Nixon administration, he pulled the rug underneath Nixon's feet because he revealed to the Senate that Nixon had been recording all of his conversations in the White House since 1971. Yeah, not ideal. No. Now that this, is a big leak. He needs it, better plumbers. Yeah, exactly. So this this is this is the silver bullet, right? The Senate and now the newly appointed special prosecutor Archibald Cox. This is what they need to like seal the deal here, right? To a find out what the burglary is all about and see was Nixon involved in this? I do mean B. I do mean B. So they demand to see the tapes. Now, Nixon reacts in a similar way to the Pentagon Papers. He's like, well, these are my tapes. Yeah. I'm the president. These are my... I need to keep them for myself, for security. Blah, 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 blah. And uh, he has, has like, he offers this like redacted version of the transcripts as a sort of peace offering, like, here, you, you can take this. Yeah, yeah. Take, take leave the out all stuff. the incriminating stuff out of it. And these are naturally turned down. So Cox and the Senate, they just do not stop pressuring Nixon for these tapes, right? Which leads us... Why wouldn't you, really? It's oh, yeah, like 100%. it's a gold mine against a president. This is huge. Yeah, it's absolutely enormous. Uh, think about it this way. It's like you're so close to f- solving a puzzle and you know the answer to the puzzle is just in the next room. Yeah. But your big brothers are standing there in front of the, the door. You can't like, have that piece. I know it's the silver piece with the shiny car in it, but you can't have yeah. that piece. So what you got to do is you got to go to your parents, the Supreme Court, and make <laughs> your big brother get out of the way so you can get to them tapes. And how did that work out? Well, before you can get to that, actually, uh, Cox, the special prosecutor, he wouldn't stop, right? He mm. really won those tapes. Nixon ordered him to be fired. Right, as you do when someone's coming close to exposing you. Yeah, naturally, naturally. In fact, we've seen this play out again when Trump fired James Comey. Yeah, true that. The, the special prosecutor investigating the Russia stuff at the moment. <laughs> yeah. like, it's just a little too eerie, isn't Sometimes it? Sometimes there are just not rugs that are big enough for all the the things that are swept yeah, under. Yeah, all the closets for our strippers and porn star skeletons to be held in. Yeah. You know? <laughs> okay, well that's probably a bit too close to home. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> anyway, wow. So the point is. Nixon tried to get Cox fired by getting his attorney general to fire him, right? Mm. The attorney general resigns, and then the deputy attorney general resigns as well. Wow. And then this new guy, he goes, "Mm, all right, and he fires Cox. And then a new uh, special prosecutor is appointed as well. This is known as the Saturday Night Massacre. Right. Yeah, two attorney generals in one night. Just Obviously gone. because they had morals, I'm guessing. Well, two attorney generals in one night and the special prosecutor, Cox. Yeah, that's right? true, actually. So... A new special prosecutor is appointed, um, but it's not enough to save Nixon because the matter goes to the Supreme Court because it's a question of whether or not the president has committed a crime. Yeah, it's a really big deal. It's nearly as big a deal as Andrew Johnson in the 1800s. Exactly, exactly. Now, now you mentioned Andrew Johnson. Congress was in the process of issuing articles of impeachment Impeach against him. Nixon. And 
as the ruling came down from the Supreme Court that the gig is up, mate. You have to hand over the tapes. Nixon versus the United States of America. That's pretty crazy. Sorry, Mr. President. Nobody's above the Constitution. It all just fell apart for Nixon, right? On August 5th, he releases the tapes after receiving the verdict from the Supreme Court. Right, in 1973. In 1973. So he releases the tapes August 5th, and it's there for everybody to see. He definitely knew about the cover-up. In fact, he encouraged the cover-up. Pretty much orchestrated it. It was his idea. (laughs) Yeah. He resigns in disgrace on August 8th, and he leaves the actual White House the following day. Can I just say, though, he did not get impeached. No, he didn't because he resigned. Yeah. And he beat the system. And six weeks later, his replacement, Gerald Ford, um, he's sworn in as president. And guess what he does? He wiretaps. He pardons Nixon for all potential crimes. Oh, really? Yeah. While he was in office. As in, like, they must have been great drinking buddies because you don't do that for a criminal. <laughs> well, yeah. There you go. One other cool thing about this as well. Deep Throat turned out to be the then deputy director of the FBI, Mark Felt. Oh, wow. Yeah, so it wasn't just like some random dude. No, he was a legit guy. He was like, he was right up there. And he really helped to get the Washington Post to unveil all the information. Exactly, exactly. Wow, what a great story from the rollercoaster ride that is politics. (laughs) That does take us to the end of another week in history. And if you enjoyed this week's episode, be sure to subscribe, leave us a comment, and a little star rating there as well. Yeah, do it. Uh, But until then, we'll see you next week. As we take you to a time before you were born. (laughs) 